Hi, I'm Judy Carter, and this is the Power of Purpose podcast, where we explore how to live a purposeful life and how creative people like yourself can make a living doing what you love to do. And my guest on my podcast today has certainly made a living her whole life from from comedy. So I'm so excited to talk to her and have her share some of the obstacles she has tried to break through as a woman writing in comedy. She's worked with Norman Lear. She works with Lily Tomlin. She's done written so many sitcoms that you have seen. Um, she writes comedy articles that have been published in the New York Times, the Boston Globe. Ladies and gentlemen, here she is. It's Civil Sage. Put your hands together. <laughs> Yay. It's hard doing podcasts. There's, there's no audience, right? Well, there is an audience. Hopefully there's an audience, but um, not in front of us. So the reason I um, had you on was we had this interesting conversation the other day where you were talking about being a woman and having, when someone says something offensive to you, and we... This, Right? Yes, yes, yeah, it's true. And, and and people are always saying offensive things to you, yes. <laughs> women. And, and I try to make them sorry they've said it. Right, and you were, t tell us like one of the stories that you were telling me the well, other day. Well, uh, my brain works very quickly, um, but my mouth goes far more quickly than my brain. So sometimes it really helps to be funny and have a great retort. I may have saved my life one night. I was walking along on a dark street with a girlfriend, nobody around. A car pulled up with some menacing-looking guys in it, stopped and yelled out, Hey, can you say f on a Yeah, you can say whatever you want. Okay. They yelled out, Hey, you want to f And I thought, well, this is it. We're tomorrow's headlines. They're, we'll be lucky if they don't kill us. They're definitely going to rape us. And I thought, I don't want to show my fear, so I somehow yelled back, Always f never dinner, movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that worked very well because they, they laughed. And I, so that was a great example of my brain saving my life. And every other occasion, my brain and my mouth particularly wrecked my career probably because I'm sure after I did the retort, people probably told other people, you don't want to work with her. I don't think probably. I think most well, so certainly. What, was, what so, was the story that we were... Well, um, one of them was I had a meeting early in the morning with a producer. I got there at 9, which was the time. And I was sitting in the waiting room for half an hour. Nobody apologized. Nobody said anything to me. So half an hour later, I went to the phone, called my agent, and said, I don't think I'm going to wait here any longer. And he said, no, 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 the, the guy, the producer is my client. Let me call him and tell him that you're out there waiting. So minutes later, the guy came out and walked towards me. And I thought, oh, okay, so he's going to apologize and be a mensch. No. He came over and said, are you the one making all the trouble? Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> so I had that choice of should I just nod compliantly, but that's not, I didn't. I said, no, not exactly. I was here on time for the meeting. You're the one in my eyes who was making all the trouble. Nobody bothered to even explain to me why I've been sitting here. No. So I don't, I'm not going to work with you. I'm leaving I said, so I've gotten up early to come here. I may as well be of some use. You want to tell me who you're meeting with? The other people I'll recommend whom you should work with. And I left. I always felt a need to defend my dignity. So that's what I, how I thought of it, but it probably also... Dignity in show business? 
Really? Well, I, I still, I never realized that, that it wasn't valued. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. I, I've, I've read a lot of articles that in meetings, so much of it is almost staged power. Like, uh, I know in the ABC t- television waiting room, they'll make the couches really huge. So in order to get off of them, it's, it makes you feel small. Like the couches, are, in order to get off them, you have to kind of like shake back and forth. Oh. And then they'll put th- their chair and open a window behind you, um, behind them. So you're always like having to squint, right? And, and oh, all these I didn't things, even and the waiting. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and they'll make people wait. It's, it just says, hey, you're lucky to see oh, me. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. My, I was working with my husband. I had sort of three incarnations as a TV writer. I was writing with a girlfriend, then I was writing by myself, and then I partnered with my husband. My husband and I were changing agents, and we were kept waiting so long outside this guy's door. Again, it was a half an hour. Some, the, the door, agent next door was celebrating a deal with us by then. We knew her intimately. He finally admitted us to his office. We walked in. He turned to me and said... I've heard you're tough in a room. And my husband said, I'm in the room with her. I haven't heard that. And I said, so who said that to you? And he said, oh, no, oh, I couldn't tell you. And I said, if you tell me, I'll tell you everybody who said really horrible things about you. <laughs> that was the kind of thing I enjoyed doing at now, the Did moment. he laugh at the time? I don't know. The meeting wasn't that long. We didn't sign with him. I don't think these people often laughed. I don't think they found me entertaining. I think they found me insulting. And what you're talking about with power, that seemed to be operative in every, really every interaction we had. I mean, there was another one. My, do you want another story? Because my sure. husband and I were writing, uh, we were rewriting a movie. We were told the movie was going to go because the director was very hot at the time. So it was this guy, Tom Mankiewicz, and I can speak freely because he's, he's dead. <laughs> and I don't subscribe to the thing about you can't say things about dead people. I think that's the best thing, <laughs> best time to say it. <laughs> so he's less apt to you know, tell people I'm a yeah. bitch. You know? <laughs> so my agent said before we went to the meeting after our first draft, don't talk in the meeting. So I guess he'd heard what, about some of these stories. So okay, I was, had it in my head, reminder to Sybil, don't talk. And we had a joke in the script that I thought was by far the funniest joke in the script, which was the main character was a talk show host, an early feminist, and he was getting married, and this was his bachelor party. So we had a joke where Betty Friedan, for those of you who are under the age of 150, she wrote the feminist mystique. She's an early feminist, very important. Um, We had Betty Friedan come out of the cake so he turned to that page and he said, I don't want Betty Friedan coming out of the cake. I want a naked woman. And I had that look on my face. I, I'm not going to be able to do that thing where I don't talk. <laughs> so, so, I, so, so I talked. I said, um, Betty Friedan is a joke. A naked woman coming out of cake is just a naked woman coming out of a cake. It's not it's anything. not funny. Not funny. And this was perfect for this guy. If, if, if this Phil Donahue, who was sort of the character, was the host... That's who you would have. You would have Gloria Steinem coming out of the cake. That's the meaningful and funny thing. So I said, um, I, I said, not a joke. And he said, well, may I remind you I'm the director? And I said, it's not necessary. I wouldn't even be answering you if you weren't the director. It's an outrageous, ridiculous change. And 
by now, we, you know, he was probably already trying to think of other writers that could continue with this project. <laughs> but I added, um, we'll put it, we'll do it because you're the director. But if we send out the script, Betty Friedan's coming out of the cake. Two days later, we were fired. Wow. So looking back on this, I mean, every single funny woman listening to this podcast has had an experience like this. I remember when I first got my very first um, cable special, and it was with uh, four other comics, five other comics. Uh, was taped by uh, Paramount uh, Comedy Theater, and, and Howie Mandel was emceeing it. And it was a big deal to me, real mm-hmm. big deal. Yeah. And I'm waiting backstage, and you practice all your material. And then Howie goes... All right, you ready? Our next comedian is, get this, people. She's a woman, and she's coming out here with her tits. Judy Carter. And I was, I, you have to make decisions very quickly. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, okay, I have to respond to it. I have to, I can't just let that be. How can I let myself be marginalized like that? Mm-hmm. But what if they cut his intro and I come out and I'm just a now because you never know how they're going to edit it and I just pushed it all down and went out <gasps> and did my sh- I didn't say anything because I I just felt you know it was a better choice, and I and think it was. But that's why you've heard the name Judy Carter, and you haven't heard the name Sybil Edelman Sage. Because what I would have said was, I'm coming, but I'm just leaving my t- here for a second, if you don't mind. It's just like, how much power do you give yeah. that person who is uh, making that comment? What kind of power do you give them? I mean, to give them power, There's ignoring it means, it mean it's it means nothing, but the accumulation over the years yeah. of of hearing that is, and and then I go see comedy clubs every time I'm in a city. I'll kind of who's playing, guy, 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 guy. and it's like, what have, have things not changed? Mm-hmm. And this notion in comedy that, uh, especially with uh, comedy writing rooms, that women have to be able to take it. And we don't feel comfortable being funny or saying everything when women are in the room. Well, there's a lot of energy that goes into not pissing them off. And I, I, I was often, maybe always, the only woman in the writing room because I started in the early 70s. And there were a handful of us. I don't think there were 15 women writing for, for primetime television at the time. I was hired to do a show. I walked in the first day. I was the only woman in the writing room. What I wanted to say was... It smells of cigars in here, so let's change that around. But, you know, I, I knew not to say that. But I also had read the script that they were working on that week. It was a sitcom that shot every week. I wanted to make a suggestion, and I thought, I don't think that I'm entitled to make a suggestion. I don't, didn't want to piss anybody off. So a lot of energy went into how do I say this so that I'm not strident and I don't sound like who is she to tell us that. And, you know, they were the top comedy writers. They were the guys that did Mary Tyler Moore, Cheers. Um, you know, so I was dealing with people who were very successful. And so what I came up with to do was to pose it as a question. So I said, um, this scene here happens in the morning, and it's all about a dream. And I'm just wondering, has it, had you ever considered doing it, w- waking up in the middle of the night, 
right after the dream happened, it seems like it would be more animated and more meaningful in a way. And is is there any reason not to do that? I and what to, do you think? Like, what do you you're saying? Yeah, like, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I was always afraid to to formulate a statement, and very often, as careful as I was trying to be, I still put my foot in my mouth, and it was just almost impossible to avoid walking into that. And you never knew, you know, it took so many forms, you couldn't prepare for the next way it would happen. I was partnered with a really funny guy who had written on the um, Dean Martin roast, Harry Crane. He was a legendary comedy writer. And they, he had never seen a woman comedy writer, and pro very few people had. So I was partnered with him on an award show. And he looked miserable. It looked like they had scheduled him for a gynecologist visit. He, was, he just was <laughs> frantic to what he was going to do with me. So he was kind of trying to make it miserable for me. One day the producer was in our office, and my, the, the phone rang. He answered it. And he said, oh, yes, hold on. And then he turned to the producer and said, Sybil, it's a personal call for you. <laughs> the kind of thing you know <laughs> the, the producer didn't care but this guy just wanted to get rid of me or get me in trouble so he did it enough times where I thought this is ridiculous I'm gonna quit this job even though I have a contract so I went across the hall very close to our office was the producer I went in and I closed the door and I said Harry's miserable with me he's making me miserable I know I have a contract but I think the best thing is for you to just let me go this isn't working and the producer said, oh, no, 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 we, we very much want you to stay. We don't like what Harry's doing. And he opened a file drawer. He pulled out some sheaves of paper, showed them to me, and he said, look at what he's writing. On the top of the page, it said Harry Crane. The material was mine. <laughs> so he took credit for your material. He took credit for the material of mine that they hated. <laughs> so I... I said, all right, let me be honest with you. I wrote that. That's his name. That's, you really should get rid of me. You, you don't like me either. You don't like my material. Let me go. They wouldn't let me go. No, we want to keep you. It was only about 30 years later that it occurred to me they probably felt they had to have a woman on the show. What show is this? It was one of the first, maybe the second People's Choice Awards. Ah. And, um, I, I, you know, and the whole thing was ridiculous. I was asked to write a... Um, and they made me stay. When I came back into the office, I'll tell you, they, they made me write Carol Burnett's acceptance speech. And when she came out and saw on the teleprompter an acceptance speech, Carol Burnett went, oh, my God, what kind of thing is that? They wrote my acceptance speech? Because <laughs> I had said, well, how do I know who Carol Burnett wants to thank? How do I do this? Anyway, I came back into the office. Harry Crane said to me, I noticed you closed the door and you were talking to the producer. What were you saying? <laughs> okay. I said, well, the reason I closed the door was I didn't want you to hear. And he said, well, what, what didn't you want me to hear? Yeah, yeah, I didn't know what to do. I was 30 years old. I never had a professional thing in my life. So I said, I wanted to quit. I can't quit. You were stuck together. Yeah. And from that, he became my best friend. Wow. Well, because we were talking about how to react in situations like mm -hmm. this, and that's what spurred you know, me asking you to be here today because um, Anna said she was taking a um, improv class when the teacher said to her, her mm -hmm. don't use the word f yeah. don't use it's it, it's it's not good you're depending on her for a laugh and she mm -hmm. wasn't and it really made her angry when the scene after her were the guys talking about f a dog 
And the teacher said nothing. The teacher left. Then the teacher, the teacher <laughs> thought, well, right. that's funny. Yeah, yeah. That's funny, which was followed by a scene with a about a chicken or, you know, and, and, and jokes. So, you know, and you were mentioning that I just threw zingers out when people, you know, people hit me, I hit them back. Mm -hmm. And you said, and, and you've lost jobs that way. And um, so what do you, what do you think now? I mean, have, first of all, now, how do, how, looking back on your career, how would you respond to these things now? How, how, how do you without looking like a bitch? I, I had actually, unfortunately, it was way after ageism forced me out of mind that I figured out what I think would be a, a valid way of dealing with this that would be inoffensive and yet not allow you to feel passive and run over. I think what I would have done if I had had that kind of measured temperament and, and had given it any thought... Uh, when any of these things happened, I think the best thing would have been just to pause and say, let's stop for a moment and figure this out because I think we're going through something that's probably meaningful and we might not be realized what's going on. So without being combative, but without feeling like a wuss, I think I would, in a very measured voice, say, like maybe to Harry, to Harry, I could have said, Harry, I know you've never seen a woman comedy writer and I get that it's probably strange for you, and I'm not a professional, this is new to me. Why don't we talk about what we're feeling and let's see if we can work it out so we're more comfortable. Would a guy like Harry talk about what he's feeling? Well, even if he didn't know what he was feeling, I think that the, I was opening up a conversation and addressing it rather than responding to it too quickly. And because I'm funny and my brain works quickly, I could always say something kind of cutting. and. And maybe he wouldn't have, but he would have had a better understanding. It would have been just a much better re resolution. I I like the word perplexed. I when I oh, get when yeah. I'm really angry rather than you know yeah. that really pisses me off or yeah. or zing back. That word is I'm perplexed. Um, um, what what I'm not sure what you mean by it, and mm -hmm. and then it puts the other person in in a position of um, entering a conversation about it without yeah. feeling attacked because you're saying, I'm confused, I'm perplexed. What? Mm -hmm. And now they're trying to fix you. Like, oh, this is what that means. And um, that word, I, when, especially when people ask me really outrageous things, I'm perplexed that um, you're throwing catch on my patio is that I'm perplexed why you're doing that. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> upset. I think I think it's really bitch. adorable. <laughs> but, right? but let's just discuss what, what's what behind I, it all. What I want to say to my neighbor and and entering a conversation with Marsha's mover is coming for you. I called him. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know um, what do you think the the Me Too campaign has changed the industry now? Not for me. <laughs> not for you? No, I'm not a part of anything. I'm sure it has. And um, I'm not the person to speak to it because nobody has even bothered to offend me in, in about 30 years. And, and I was actually, when you were talking, I was remembering I had, I, I have found it different when I'm dealing with women. If I've had a problem with a woman and I had also, 
I've also done magazine writing where there was a lot more respect and there were a lot more women, especially if you're writing at a women's magazine. I was doing a piece for a woman's magazine on extramarital affairs. It was a funny piece about they're all alike. Somebody always has an ultimatum. Somebody's leaving his wife and then whoops, he's not. You know, it's, and so my point was they're all the same. And I was careful not to mention any one of my affairs because I never do. And <laughs> I wrote it very third person. The magazine piece came out and under the title it said, The Other Woman Explains It All and I burst into tears. It was not my intention to come out in a magazine. I had just gotten engaged. I had, my parents were alive. I had a mother-in-law. There were so many people whose mouths were going to drop open to see the, the bride. Oh I my God. Yeah. I didn't know what to do. I was, I was shaking and so I called the editor and, and at that time you, that you could talk on the phone to somebody, you didn't have to wait for, to be ghosted by an email. And she got on the phone and I said, I can't believe that you put this in the magazine and identified me as the other woman. And she gasped and she said, oh my God, I didn't think about that. And she said, I can hear how upset you are in your voice and it's my fault, I did it. And I feel so bad, I don't know what to do. The way she responded made me feel better. It was totally fun. Wow, I, I, had you ever gotten that in uh, you know working on a network show it's my fault i screwed up yeah. when you came in the room and i gave you notes oh and my, yelled I at care you that, that you're upset I, no. you know i i i really hurt your feelings and i'm really thought about mm. it couldn't sleep last night thinking about you <laughs> thank you for sharing your feelings because <laughs> i care about my writers and <laughs> Never, right? No, and I do feel I have to give credit to Norman Lear, who I'm still a million years later remembering what he said to me that was unique. I was doing a pilot for him. I had been writing only for a few months. He pitched something that just didn't make sense to me. And yet he was Norman Lear. Nobody else was. I certainly wasn't. And he, But he saw the look on my face. So he was the only person in show business who behaved like the woman did and said, argue with me. I was stunned. And I didn't want to argue with him, so I said, why do you want, why do you want this, this character? And he said, I just saw an actress who I think would be great as a housekeeper. So my asking the question in response and getting that answer, I said, well, why don't you put her on Maud? And he did, and she had a long, successful run on Maud. And that was the only interaction where the power was given to me by the man who was powerful, and we had a really productive conversation. Wow. Well, I, I can only hope with more and more female writers now and, you know, being, being included that and, and people like Harvey Weinstein having repercussions from their deplorable be behavior, mm -hmm. that there is some kind of sensitivity now and that networks are now, they have an HR, uh, 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 you know, department and they're being run more like corporations where there's a certain behavior yeah, that's yeah. tolerable and 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 it, that is happening less and less yes but it's still subtle very often you know it's still yeah. it's still that um, power dynamic that happens I, I now use humor in a more benign way I did recently have somebody ask me to do a project I don't I never met her but somebody recommended me and I did the project for her and after I sent it to her she never responded and it wasn't a Writers Guild thing, so no money had changed hands. 
So I wrote to her and I said, did I do what you want? I haven't heard from you. She said, oh, yes, yes, I'll get back to you. And I never heard from her. Months later, I send her an email and I said, okay, I'm going to stop sitting by the phone. I'm going out now. <laughs> and by making somebody laugh, I could get the message across without sounding as aggressive as I used to. Now, I then, so months, this was months later. She said she was going to get back to me. She said, you make me laugh. Months and months, and now I could be four, five, or six months since it happened. I got an email from her a few days ago saying, I really want to work with you on something. Sorry for the delay. And I looked at it, and I thought, I can either say nothing, which for me is never that satisfying. And I thought, maybe what I'll do is I'll wait four, six years, and I'll write her back and say, okay, so what are you thinking about? You know, <laughs> I'm just, I've turned to what sounds like more benign humor to give the same message. Yeah, well, I, I, using humor, I mean, humor is always a two-edged sword. Yeah. You know, it could really slice someone to pieces. Yeah. Or I like to do it where if there's a situation that I can make myself laugh, mm. you know, it's like, okay, and without doing too much damage to the other person, do you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I really had this happen where, um, well, I guess this is doing damage to another person, but they deserve it. Um, I was jogging, a man flashed me, and this really happened, and I'm jogging. And Did I'm, you stare? Well, no, I just oh. kept jogging faster, and I was scared, and I went like, oh, I, you know, I better, maybe I shouldn't jog here by the ocean, it's too dangerous, too many it's your people. Fault. <laughs> it's your, yeah. You shouldn't jog where there are I shouldn't jog. Maybe I should move, right? Flasher <laughs> alert. I need a new app. This is a <laughs> shitty neighborhood, I, and, and, and that's a thought that actually occurred to me. Why am I changing my course for a whack job? Why am I changing? And so I did a U-turn, I jogged back. And I said, hey, I just want to tell you something. Opened his car door. I said, that looked like a penis, only smaller. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it was so empowering because he slammed the car door and drove off. Like, I scared him. You, yes. And that's the most satisfying oh, thing great. ever. That's great. Yeah. That's because, you know, we're just doing what we want to do, our purpose, right? Uh, you but, know? but the woman thing is, oh, look at me. I should have known better than to run here. <laughs> right. Probably a flasher, and I didn't even think about it, and it's always our fault. Right. It, and that's the other thing. Whose fault is it? Because when you say it back, they, they accuse you. They don't think that they precipitated something, because I, I, I'm sure you and I only do it in response to something awful. I don't think I ever go first. Yes. I and you know I want to let's will you come back and do another podcast about when you found your purpose and how you got work and how you once put I yourself? find my purpose I'll be right here. <laughs> <laughs> Great talking to Sybil Edelman Say. If you would like to learn more about turning your purpose into a career, go to themessageofyou.com where I'll give you free access to my online course. Click the button in the top banner when you get there. If you'd like to learn more about what I'm doing, then go to judycarter.com. Thanks for listening, and let's find your message and launch your career.